This is Brian Oaks, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Erskine, Minnesota. We are pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan. We'll also hear from Sierra Doctor and Whitney Pittman. Minnesota Governor Tim Walz hosting the first Minnesota trade mission to Australia. Minnesota Soybean Growers Association President Bob Worth says it's been an eye-opening experience. What our mission is is to try to get the people in Australia to buy more products from Minnesota uh, if we can do that, for sure the United States. And, you know, there's uh, it's quite experience because the agriculture sector over here raises nothing but wheat and uh, anything non-GMO. Uh, they raise zero soybeans, zero corn. They feed all their livestock with um, uh, wheat meal. Uh, they, they create their own wheat meal for their livestock. Uh, but they do import some soybeans from uh, South America. And worse says Australia's non-GMO stance is a challenge. We're talking a lot about it, you know, climate change, zero carbon, uh, all this stuff, but Randy, they, they're non-GMO. So I don't know how they're going to get agriculture in, in uh, zero uh, carbon when, when you can't, uh, you don't have the chemicals to use to uh, no-till, uh, a lot of different issues that we can do with, uh, with GMO products. So it, it's just a learning experience. Following record farm income in 2022, Agricultural Economic Insights managing partner David Widmar says producers should be prepared to return to normal. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman has more. What are things looking like here to shape up for 2023? Of course, the last three years have been phenomenal, especially in the Corn Belt and the Great Plains. As you move around the country, uh, we've noticed that the southern states or in the western states, that farm income boom hasn't been nearly as strong. But for the producers in the Corn Belt Midwest, we got to hit the pause button and say, what's normal? What's normal when it comes to profitability? What's normal for what I can service when it comes to debt? And also looking down the road and realizing uh, we're going to return to the mean. At some point, we're going to see incomes come off these record highs. That doesn't mean there's a crisis brewing, but there's always a painful adjustment as we move from record highs to, to more normal conditions. But of course, anytime there's that decline, there's always a the concern of are we returning to, say, the 1980s farm crisis? Uh, and we're a long ways away from that today. But anytime we start to see income slip, those concerns come to the front of our minds. Yeah, and as we've talked to producers, I guess that has been kind of a thing we've heard mentioned several times, but what makes now so different? Well, we have a podcast series uh, called AEI.ag Presents, and one of the seasons is it's called Scaping 1980. We put it out a couple years ago, but it's still evergreen, it's still really relevant, and we spent eight episodes diving through the 1970s and 1980s and how all that ties together and impacts agriculture still today. And one of the key differences is we are using debt in different ways. And so variable interest rates were, were much more common at that point in history. And so when the Fed was raising rates throughout the 1980s, that was changing the rate on all the debt that some farms had. Today, there's a little bit of a buffer there with fixed rates. But one of the key corollaries here is that we have a rising interest rate environment. And you know we saw interest rates rise in the late 
70s to the early 1980s, but then a, a four-decade decline. And so a lot of producers need to update their business plans and their, their business models to reflect an environment where interest rates aren't trending lower and aren't very stable from here. We've seen a lot of volatility and we've seen an upward shift. We got to keep that in mind. And outlook for 2024 as we kind of conclude this harvest season for most of the Corn Belt. What are things you're seeing here looking ahead? First thing we're keeping an eye on is winter wheat acreage. We get a report out of the USDA in June. That sets the pace for how many acres do corn and soybeans have to arm wrestle over. One of the things we're keeping an eye on also is the acreage imbalance that we saw in 2023. How does that resolve itself? Uh, we have corn ending stocks that are above the long-term average, close to 15% stocks to use. Soybeans are below their long-term average, closer to 5 or 6%. So we need to see a, a rebalancing of those two commodities. And the third piece we're watching here is usage. Are we going to be able to spur some new corn usage, especially to the export markets? They're going to help put that together. So that's on the corn balance sheets. The other thing that we're watching really closely are production expenses when it comes to the budgets. Uh, fertilizer prices have came down. They've jumped up a little bit in the last few months, but much different than they were a year ago. That's going to provide some budget offsets. And the other issue are interest rates. I'm Whitney Pittman reporting from Kansas City for the Red River Farm Network. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. Winter on the way soon. Many producers, cattle producers, pulling their cattle off grass and weaning calves. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Sierra Doctor has more. Many ranchers have delayed weaning to November and December after switching to April-May calving. NDSU Extension Livestock Specialist Carl Hoppe says the most important thing after calves get weaned is getting them to eat. Well, the best thing to give calves right after weaning is exactly what they've been fed before weaning because that's something they're used to and they're familiar with eating. So if they've been out grazing a grass pasture, of course, grass hay is what they're going to come to and eat. If you've been feeding the cows corn silage, a fermented feed, uh, to the cows and the calves before weaning, then after weaning, calves will go right to the corn silage because that's a familiar feed and they'll increase, and they'll pick up their intake right away. That's the most important thing when it comes to Weaning calves is getting them to eat after weaning. And if you start to feed of unfamiliar feed, that cattle will be apprehensive to to eat if they've never seen it before. Hoppy says there's two philosophies to backgrounding calves. One is to delay marketing until a different time of the year, hopefully hoping on a price rally if that's the case. The other view is look at increasing the value of the animal through lower cost of gain. So in other words, if we can put on a pound of gain that's worth this amount and the cost to put it on is less than that, we've made profit doing that. And that's what I usually look at when it comes to backgrounding calves. Our cost of gain needs to be cheap enough. And cost of gain this year is less than it is last year. The price of corn has really gone down compared to last year. And the corn price, uh, that four, $4.5 a bushel, whatever, is, uh, makes it attractive for feeding cattle, even when calf prices are very high. Reporting agriculture's business, I'm Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network. Volga, South Dakota-based fermented plant protein ingredient company Hudek, Vice President of Technology Jeremy Javers sees plant-based feedstock processing as the next wave of value-added agriculture. With more farmed fish and you know more consumption of fish globally, uh, along with the fact that you know the majority of the fish that uh, we consume in the world right now, um, more of it's farmed than is hunted out of the ocean. So all those fish need feed. 
and with fish meal being one of the primary ingredients in uh, fish feed, um, with that supply going down and the price going up, and then the you know the supply of soybean meal going up and the you know, price will be dropping here. We'll, I think we'll have an economic situation where there's a great gap uh, between those two products that allows for a good margin and um, will justify a lot of uh, investment in infrastructure, just like it did for ethanol. Javer sees the fermented plant protein technology moving beyond fish feed to supplement all animal proteins. Primarily, we started off in fish feed. That's where the, um, you know, the business opportunity was. Uh, for all the reasons we just talked about. Uh, we also just launched a product into pet food. Um, so that's a product called Protégé, Protégé um, and uh, that's uh, an ingredient that's going into uh, you know cat and dog uh, foods. And uh, we're also working uh, with some uh, ingredient development for human food consumption and protein bars and uh, pastas and, and things of that nature. Recent return on investment study of dairy operations in central Minnesota found that profitability and environmental stewardship go hand in hand. Agcentric Executive Director Keith Olander says the study was meant to show the, that conservation practices in agriculture can keep farms economically viable. The reason why we decided to go down this road was to be able to tell a story. Um, have farmers coming forward. I don't know that agriculture always gets the best PR when it comes to treatment of the environment, but really at the heart of the farmer is what can I do that's going to make my land better for the next generation and for the next crop year and, and you know, really thinking long term. But, you know, bound around that is this idea that I have to remain economically viable. And so really as we come together as a group, that's where our goal is, is to look at, you know, if you think of cover crops, buffer strips, no-till, low-till, uh, grass waterways or just nutrient management. Um, those are all important things to the environment. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Good morning. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Wimbledon, North Dakota farmer Mike Clemens is a big supporter of the new soy crush uh, plants facility in Spiritwood, uh, Green Bison Energy. Clemens says the plant is a huge step forward for North Dakota's farmers. Well, this is really what we've been looking for. Uh, you just just think of all the years that you know we just put our beans on a train and ship them out to the Pacific Northwest, and they go to China. What happened in China? Well, we had tariffs put on, and the market just fell out of bed because we had no other outlet for our beans in North Dakota. And so now this is really a step up because now we have, other than the export market, we have the local market now for the, the crush of the beans. And then to put it into renewable diesel fuel is just a wonderful thing. And Clement says their eyes of renewable diesel production in the state will help. What is everybody looking for? They're, they're not concerned about the grocery sales, but they're sure concerned when they pull up that pump to fill up. So whatever they can do to uh, lower the cost of, at the pump or do just a better uh, job of uh, environmentally for burning, you know, either a, a renewable diesel product or an ethanol product, it's good for the environment. North American Potato Market News reporting third quarter exports of potatoes and potato products increasing by one and a half percent, totaling six hundred and eight million dollars. Fresh potato exports during the third quarter topped year earlier shipments by ten and a half percent, with most of the growth coming in from sales to Mexico. 
U.S. exported 3.67 million hundredweight of fresh potatoes during that third quarter. USDA's weekly export sales report for the week ending November 9th showed corn exports at 1.8 million metric tons, 78% more than the previous week, 81% more than the four-week average. Soybean export sales are a marketing year high, 3.9 million metric tons. That's noticeably more than the previous week and the four-week average. Wheat export sales disappointing, 176,000 tons down, 50% from the previous week, 57% less than the four-week average. Checking markets before we leave you. December wheat in Minneapolis is down four and three quarter cents. Chicago December wheat down four and a quarter. Kansas City down eight cents. Right now, December corn down two and three quarters at 472. March corn's down two and a half at 490 and three quarters. January soybeans are down two and a half at 1357 and three quarters. March down two and a half at 1372. January canola in Winnipeg, 250 a metric ton lower, 704.30 Canadian. Checking the farm calendar, again, we've got uh, all kinds of uh, state uh, annual meetings uh, underway or going on this weekend, uh, getting underway today. The, uh, the, or continuing today, the Minnesota Farm Bureau Federation's annual meeting at the Doubletree uh, in Bloomington. The uh, Minnesota Farmers Union Convention gets underway today at the Delta Hotels by Marriott in Minneapolis. Also, the uh, South Dakota Farm Bureau convention underway in Sioux Falls. So that uh, under, gets underway today as well. And uh, the uh, IBAND state convention underway in Bismarck. North Dakota Farm Bureau and DFB underway in Fargo. This is the Red River Farm Network.